0: One of the keys to leading that life of legacy is recognizing that at any moment, any time, any place, we can bridge heaven and earth and really make a significant difference in somebody's life.
1: Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. This show is meant to be a guide for you. We're gonna talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward. But in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are gonna talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, You never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on the show, every single episode, I want to be your friend. I want to be your mentor. I want to show you what is it that I think has really been insightful been helpful what are the tools and strategies what are the mindset shifts that have helped me and what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are how can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous beautiful experience because after all that is what we all desire we're all craving to have the most joyful beautiful life and I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people. It will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together, each one of us by being the happiest versions of ourselves and being the most fulfilled versions of ourself, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller podcast. I just came back from five days with my sister and my kids at Blackberry Mountain. And I want to record a whole episode really about the experience I just had, because there's so much that goes on for me sometimes behind the scenes that I don't always share with you. And I feel like sometimes these things can be really powerful. And I did a post on my Instagram about a little bit of what I was going through, but essentially every time... I'm personally about to go through another portal to allow in more expansion and to set down more of an unconscious pattern and allow for there to be more ease and more abundance. There's always this part of me that sort of shows up to sabotage it. And that is very much a real thing because our nervous system doesn't know how to calibrate. It doesn't know that it's safe to let go more or to allow it to be easier and so there's a way where our body and our somatic experience is like catching up with what our soul is allowing in. And so it's really interesting that whole dance. And I, uh, I just feel really grateful that I was able to kind of like move through that and make the right choices. Cause there was just a lot of stuff coming to a head about where my husband and I were going to be for this coming year. And which house we were going to live in and which state and what I was going to do with my kids and what was going to be best for them. And in the end, I feel like my husband and I made a decision that will really serve us both in the highest possibility for our marriage, for our kids and everything. But it was so amazing how my mind was like kind of all over the place. And then I finally allowed myself to just have what it is that I knew I really wanted. Um, It's amazing how we can Make ourselves wrong for what we want or talk ourselves out of it. And then we realize, oh, what if I just let myself have what's right here already for me to just pick up and and allow in? So I'll share more about that soon. Maybe I'll do an Instagram live and have a heart to heart with you guys. But I'm really looking forward to today's episode because it's just such a heartfelt conversation. Rabbi Daniel Cohen is here. He's written two books. He has a nationally syndicated radio show called The Rabbi and the Reverend. He's just such an incredible person. I'm really looking forward to diving into today's episode with you. Before I tell you a little bit more about him, I want to just let you know that this coming week, um, July 19th, I'm doing a free workshop with one of my really good friends, Susie Moore. And it's all about how you can build your audience bigger and get more publicity. And she's just one of the best people I've ever met in my life. So if you want to join us for this free workshop... You can go to kathyheller.com slash visible. Come hang out with us. It's going to be guaranteed an amazing time. Also, another place where you can see Susie in person is if you come to my retreat in Boca Raton, Florida, September 10th through the 12th. We have so many incredible speakers coming. There's going to be tons of moments for you to really meditate with me. And I really feel like that retreat experience is one of the best things that I have created. And it's such an incredible thing to create it with you. The women who come together, what we all collectively experience is just something that I can't put into words. If you want to join us, go to KathyHeller.com/slash retreat while spots are still available. You can grab your spot. So as I said, today is an amazing conversation with Rabbi Daniel Cohen. He is a popular mentor, author, inspirational speaker, and he's been a rabbi for over 30 years. He is currently the senior rabbi at Congregation Aguda Shalom, which is the largest modern Orthodox synagogue in New England. He has a unique blend of authenticity, humor, wisdom, and insight that helps us all better navigate our contemporary world and lead a life of legacy. Rabbi Cohen is the author of a beautiful book called What Will They Say About You When You're Gone? Creating a Life of Legacy, which is a guide to help you rise above the distractions, align with the best version of yourself, and live with purpose and passion. Last year, he published a novel called The Secret of the Light that explores the power we all have to reignite our inner light and share it with the world. These are both incredible books, so I definitely recommend that you go get yourself a copy. And as I mentioned before, Rabbi Cohen is also the co-host with Reverend Greg Dahl of the nationally syndicated radio show, The Rabbi and the Reverend. I think it's so beautiful that two people from different religions can come together for such good, honest conversations and bring multiple points of view to the table from a place of love. I hope that you'll check that out as well. Rabbi Cohen is filled with so much wisdom, but he's just so genuine and down to earth. I think that you're going to get a lot from his insight. So many people already have, and it's such a gift to have him here. So without further ado, please welcome the remarkable Rabbi Daniel Cohen. Rabbi Cohen, I'm so happy that you came on to hang out. It's really nice to see you.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. I've been waiting for this day for a long time. You are so
1: brilliant and kind. And so loving and lovable. And every time I'm with you, I wind up talking about you to the next person I see for like the next 10 days, because you always say things that are so refreshing about the world and about humanity, and I just can't get over it. So I'm so happy to see you.
0: Well, thank you. I've been talking about you for a while also. Sweet. The empowerment, it's all good. Trying to spread some light into the world. We need it.
1: Yeah, we need it. you're so good at it. So good at it. There's so many things I want to ask you. I guess I'm going to start with this actually, because the last time I saw you, you were telling me about a lot of just really beautiful things that you've done for people with no, there's no agenda. It's just about showing up for people and I wondered if you wouldn't mind sharing just it meant so much to me the story you told about this jeweler that's nearby yeah because um I just feel like we're going to get into your books and we're going to talk about how accomplished you are and all the beautiful things you know and that's going to be really juicy but I was just so struck by how you look for places and ways to show up for regular people all the time. And God, the world would just be such a good place if everyone could think about doing that a little bit more.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, um, it's funny. I was with somebody yesterday who I was trying to guide in terms of thinking about what faith means for them. And the story you're referring to, to me, is just a great example of a foundational principle, which is that, you know, God is not asking us to change the world. But God is asking each and every one of us to change the world of one person every day. And no encounter is random. And there's always some new light to be revealed. The story you're referring to was a time of a lot of uh, challenges for people. It was really at the height of COVID, but there was a, another terrible tragedy that took place in our community. Uh, not too far from us, there was a botched robbery and there was a murder of the owner of a jewelry store. And it was really like unheard of to have such a tragedy in our community. And the store was closed down. And you always are able to eternalize a moment when you infuse it with kindness. Like how many of us actually remember what happens every day? When we open up our hearts to people, it becomes unforgettable. And I'll never forget. I was, I hang out at at coffee shops a lot because I see more people. (laughs) I see more people at coffee shops during the week than I do at synagogue. So, and there's a lot of opportunities to do acts of kindness. And I remember getting into my car and seeing this metal door over the jewelry store, which had been shut since the murder. And I saw a man who was beginning to open it up. And I realized this might be the son of the person who was murdered. And to this day, I remember asking myself, Do I go back in my car and ignore him? Or do I go over to him and let him know that we're thinking about him? So I decided to go over. I introduced myself. I didn't know him at all. It was the son. And I just wanted him to know that we are here for him and the Jewish community is thinking about him. And then I asked him, I said, when are you opening up the store? And he said, he's opening up next week. And I said, would you mind if I let our community know when the store is opening up? And he said, no. And at the time, we had developed an app called Making the Mitzvah Moments app, which was an effort in the midst of COVID, the first week when there were seniors who were shut in, they couldn't get to the pharmacy, they couldn't get to challah, we decided that we would create an opportunity for instantaneous kindness. And it launched this huge effort to flood the world with kindness. Somebody needs to get to the pharmacy. We got it there. We delivered 40 khalot before Shabbat just to give people food for the Sabbath. And then I asked everybody in the community to create a flash mob of kindness for this family as they opened up the store. And she was so overwhelmed by the act of kindness in that moment that she wrote me months later. She's actually come to visit at the synagogue.
1: The widow of
0: the... widow, yep. Yeah. She felt she got more support from us than from her church. And she said, the acts of kindness of the Jewish community restored my faith in humanity. And that led to a continuum. Whenever she goes in, I mean, she always asks about us, and then I may have shared this with you, but we had a granddaughter who was born a couple months ago, and my first walk that I took with her outside of our home was in a stroller to meet the widow. And she was so overwhelmed with that sense of life that she said, she wanted to give my granddaughter this little necklace because she said, I'm all about trying to bring life. And I said that I want my granddaughter's first memory that she may not know now, but that will tell her that she went into the world to try to bring a little bit of light where there was darkness. And people's worlds can be transformed. I'll give you two examples. I was just in Florida. Like it's so simple. You know, sometimes we do an act of kindness and God creates some new acts of kindness. So, I was renting a car in Florida last week, and I guess I had my credit card in my pocket, but not fully in my pocket. So I visited a bunch of our snowbirds, and everybody likes to give me food to eat wherever I go. But the reality is, is there's only so much one guy can eat. But this person gave me like a bottle of Snap like this closed water, and here I am going to the airport and... I got to throw it in the garbage, but I say to myself, well, how about the guy who is driving the rental car bus? I'll give him this food. And he was so gracious. And then 10 seconds later, he comes, runs out to me and says, oh, you dropped your credit card. And I believe that it was only because I saw the face of God in him. I wasn't just some anonymous guy on the bus, but I connected with him. And I gave him this, that he connected with me. And then he took that moment to give me the card. I'll give you one other example. When I got to the airport that same day, I got there early. So I went to to the Delta Sky Club there. And I gave this as an example. There was a woman there with her older mother. And the, the woman at the Delta Sky Club said to this younger woman, you know, on your Sky Club membership, you can only have one person go in. You can't have other people. And you could see that she was frustrated. She wanted her mother to go in. And I went over to the woman and I said, come with me. I can take two extra people. (laughs) And I brought her over and the Delta woman was floored. Like, that's so nice, but it didn't cost me anything. But like the woman was so appreciative that I didn't wait to be asked, but that's how we all need to lead life. If there's somebody who's in our orbit, it's an opportunity. To really make a difference in their life?
1: Oh, it's so beautiful. We were just recording a podcast with Dr. Arthur Brooks, who teaches positive psychology at Harvard. And uh, he's such a beautiful person. And he is also a person of faith. He's a very devout Catholic. And he's very, he's so connected to all. It's a faith so much that he, he he loves when everybody has their own faith. Like he just, and he said to me that in studying happiness at a place like Harvard with so many different tests and so many different ways that they've looked at the data they have found that what actually makes a person happy it's not self care it's other care yeah it's really what you're saying is that it's actually the best thing you can do for your own happiness is to turn toward these beautiful ways in which you can make a difference a small difference and You're so right. It's like it's those little things that we never forget, those little moments. And it's it's just so not lost on me who you are and how you are. And I always am crying within like the first 29 seconds of you speaking, because when you see kindness in front of you, it cracks your heart open. And I feel like you just run to do goodness all day long.
0: I mean, I'll tell you one other story. It might make you cry, but are you okay if I tell you one other story? Yeah. So I I was with the, the reverend who I have a show with. Maybe we could talk about it later. And I was with a group of college students in a psychology class at UConn. And they asked us, if you had to talk to your teenage self, what would you say? So I responded that I would tell my teenage self not to miss an opportunity to do an act of kindness. Like when you're younger, We think so much about what do I need? As you get older, you think about what does God want of me? Like, what can I do? So I remember it again, like it was yesterday. I thought that was, was, it hit me the answer. Uh, It's a Friday afternoon. I'm driving afterwards and it's really weird. I pass a cemetery in Stanford and I see, I don't know what it is. It looks like something is laying on the ground in the cemetery. I don't know what it is. It looks like maybe it's a person. And I drive by and I say, you know, I got to go to the bakery. It's getting close to the Sabbath. And I said to myself, why don't you listen to what you just said? You just told a group of college students that you shouldn't pass up an act of kindness. And I took a U-turn. I went back into the cemetery. And as I got closer, it was a woman who was laying flat on a grave And she was crying uncontrollably. And I went over to her and slowly she didn't notice me. But first I went over her and I said to her, I just want to, you know, come over here and say a prayer with you. And she kind of got up, but she was like totally crying. And then she said to me, she was crying because it was the grave of her son who had died like two years ago. And then she sat up and I said, I just want to recite Psalm 23 with you. And I recited Psalm 23 with her and she was able to kind of to get her composure a little bit. And then she said to me, and she, was, she spoke Spanish, English, she says, my mother would always recite Psalm 23 with me. And I believe that my mother sent you here to help me in those most difficult of moments. And again, I don't know this woman, but I realized, like, she's never going to forget that. I'll never forget that. And it was that moment in time when there was some eternal light that was revealed um, in her life. And the world would truly be, I mean, such a brighter place if we understood that if there's somebody in our orbit, there's some light that we need to reveal in the world.
1: I mean, that's so beautiful. And I'm just have tears streaming down my face and I think about how Rabbi Aaron, who's a mutual friend of ours, I mean, he's like a father to me, but I guess he's a friend. When I first met him, he said that the world is miserable because they're miserable. They just think about themselves. And I know he's he's so good at that stuff. He is good um, at
0: that.
1: Yeah. And so I remember when we first when I was first learning with him, I was about 20 years old and I had been, I was like all into spirituality because I had been meditating and doing yoga and feeling, feeling so at peace. And I said to him, so what you got, you know, what does Judaism have for me in, uh, in this peace category? And he's like, well, we got a lot of that stuff. You know, we have a whole 24 hour period. It's really 25 hours where we kind of chill. And he said, but you know what we do that's uh a little bit, maybe even better than that, is we uh, we do for other people, right? I, I can show you something that you can be doing all day for someone else. And he said, if you really want a spiritual experience, walk down this block, make a left and knock on the second door on that block. There's a woman in there who needs you to do her dishes. That's going to be a spiritual experience that'll blow your mind. And I was just like, oh, right. There is so much we can do that's not about putting our ladder on the wrong wall of success. It's about how we we get so much back when we give to other people. And and you know, Rabbi, just hearing you tell these stories, I feel like I am the winner. Like I'm the recipient of all this oxytocin. Just listening, just listening to the fact that you did these things. That's what kindness does. That's how much power is it. The minute you did it, and then all the moments of you telling it or, or whoever, it's just an endless, endless giver of life. So you you have written a couple books. You have a radio show with Reverend Greg Dahl. I love that a rabbi and a reverend have a a radio show as it should be. It's so beautiful. The binding and the way that we come together and braid our lives together. But one of the big things that you had to say in your book, your first book, what will they say about you when you're gone? Creating a, a life of legacy is you're helping people really distill that down. What does it mean to live and create a life of legacy. What does that mean to you? I mean, that is such a giant and probably the most important thing to ask.
0: It is, I think that, you know, the genesis of the book for me was both personal and professional. Um, my mom passed away from a brain aneurysm when she was 44 years old. I'm the oldest of six children. And I remember like it was yesterday, I was in Florida visiting my mom's parents without a care in the world. And then I got a phone call that my mom's had a brain aneurysm. She had a second brain aneurysm and within 48 hours, she had passed away. And my entire life was turned upside down. And I realized then even more that life can change in an instant. And the fragility of just every moment. And then the journey for me got more acute. I always knew my mom was young, but then when I got to the age of 44, which was the same age as my mother, I began to ask myself even more, am I doing the most that I can with the life that God has given me to realize the potential every day? And it was interesting. I started this book process by looking through hundreds of eulogies that I wrote. So what is the essence of a good life And then a friend of mine talked about the notion of reverse engineering. He's a businessman. And he said that maybe what you need to do is help people identify what is the best version of themselves. What is the kind of life they want to lead? And everybody has this brush with mortality. You're at a funeral. You hear about a person who really was, you know, was charitable, they love their family. And then you say, boy, what will they say about me? But then we are inspired for 15 minutes to hug our families a little bit tighter, but then we just go back to life as usual. So, I want to help people live their life at the highest frequency possible. And I developed a strategy of seven principles to help people reverse engineer their lives. So, they lead the lives now for how they want to re- be remembered. Because I believe that, you know, a person, for example, we all felt this, somebody, is in the hospital or somebody gets a diagnosis and all of a sudden they realize everything's okay. In that moment, they breathe deeper. They are so happy. And then it kind of goes back in their head and they get like bothered with all the negativity and they just go through life. The life isn't meant to be a highlight film. It's meant to be lived really with such tremendous potential. And You know, that was really the guide for me. I see it certainly as a rabbi. Somebody says that they're sick and they say, pray for me. And then all of a sudden, I'll never hear from them again. Not because God forbid they died, but now they don't need the rabbi anymore. And they go back to life as usual. But I do believe that it's possible to slow down time for people to turn off the outside world, to listen to the inner voice that's inside every single person. And my strategy is not to have people be somebody they're not, but it's to create the sacred space to listen to the voice inside of them that says, this is who I am. This is who I really want to be. And then help them stay aligned, body and soul, um, every single day. And then wow. their lives will be extraordinary.
1: So beautiful. Um- and you teach your class on this, right? You teach your online course. There's a way people can work with you to go through I do. this process. I do.
0: So yeah, on my, it's not actually on my website. My website is com, but there is something called the Legacy Academy, which I just launched um, in March, I actually now, which is a 10-month online program where people can actually work on each one of these principles through self-reflection. And then I give them personal feedback. And then we have... a uh, they have there's videos that I actually recorded in the old city um, on each one. And then we have a conversation with people that are like-minded, spiritually growth-oriented people. And then I mentor people. So it's a way to take the principles in the book and actually try to work on a personal journey so that it doesn't just become something that's in your head, but actually the aspirations become part of your life on a more consistent basis.
1: That's so incredible. I'm going to put the link to that the show notes so that everybody has it. I mean, to have that insight from you. So can we go over what some of the seven principles are? You don't have to tell all seven, but are there a few you'd like to pull out and talk about?
0: Sure. I mean, one of the things that is clear that we've talked about so far is something that I call the Elijah moment, which is this notion based upon a story you know, Elijah may have appeared in your life, may have appeared in mine. He kind of shows up like sometimes to give somebody a little extra strength. And um, there's a story that I use as a foundational story about a person who went to a mystic and said, I want to see Elijah the prophet. And the person said, we'll go to a widow in the forest and you'll see Elijah the prophet if you bring food for the weekend with their children. He goes for the weekend, doesn't see Elijah the prophet, and then goes back on Sunday and says to the mystic, you promised me. I would see Elijah the prophet. And the mystic says, take the food back into the forest. This week, you'll see Elijah the prophet. And he's within earshot of the home. And he hears a child crying out to the mother and saying, Mommy, where are we going to get food from for this Sabbath? And the mother turns to the child and says, Just like Elijah came last week, Elijah is going to come again. And it was in that moment that he realizes that he was the Elijah that this woman was waiting for. And it really relates to everything that we've said, which is, you know, Mark Twain said the two most important days of your life are the day when you're born, and the day when you understand why. And when you're in a particular place to be that messenger to help somebody again feel a sense of hope and life and light, you're going to make a huge difference in the world. Uh, one story that always stands out in my mind: I was in a Philadelphia train station, and I guess I looked like a generous guy. I'm an older man in the 70s, comes over to me and says, oh, would you mind buying me dinner? I said, sure. How about the Dunkin' Donuts over here? So, so Well, you know what he said to me? He said, I prefer the Cajun food over here. <laughs> I said, whatever you want. So I went over to the woman behind the I went over to the woman behind the counter and I said, whatever he wants. And she said, oh, he can only get two sides. I said, whatever he wants. So he gets his food. And I say to him, what's your name? He said his name was Sam. I said, Sam, God bless you. And he turned to me and said, God has already blessed me. He sent me to you. And I realized that I was God's agent. And one of the keys to leading that life of legacy is recognizing that at any moment, any time, any place, we can bridge heaven and earth And really make a significant difference in somebody's life. Just one other point related to that. Like, it's also important, I think, when you reflect on this, to know that no act of kindness is lost. You know, we don't do things, nor should we, for any return. It's this idea of like unconditional kindness. But you also know that that energy is put into the world. So the Reverend and I, this is actually how we got closer about 10 years ago. We decided, because we became close friends, that we create a Elijah Moment campaign. There's actually a Facebook page called the Elijah Moment Facebook page. And we said, in a world that's filled with acts of violence, let's flood the world with acts of kindness. And we asked people to share their stories. And one woman wrote up, she said, I am a NODA nurse at Stanford Hospital. NODA is no one dies alone. I'm always with patients at the end of their life just to be there with them. And the woman said that near the end of this patient's life, I was feeding this patient ice cream and I felt closer to this patient than like ever before. And she said the patient passed away not, a couple of days later. She said she was telling her family about this story. And the family said, you know that patient? That patient's father was the doctor who brought you into this world. He said, that person's father, brought you into the world 50 years ago. And now God put you in this place to help that person's child person leave this world. And that's the way we have to see the power of that light because it will reverberate and it will be eternal. So I'm a big believer in in the Elijah moment principle, which is one of the principles.
1: You know, it's so massive because every day, you know, I've had the, the honor to talk to so many people around the world because of the show. I'm so grateful for it. And one of the things that hurts is to see how many people don't feel like they're enough or that they they don't think that they're needed because they're so hard on themselves, right? And one of the things that I learned, one of the first things I learned from Rabbi Aaron when I was 20 years old was that, you know, another one of his plays on words, he says, you're a masterpiece, you're a piece of the master. And oh, you know, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. And you're needed. You're needed. That's the thing. Even this man, uh, Dr. Arthur Brooks from Harvard was talking about this the other day that the greatest gift you give someone is to let them know that you need them that they're needed. And so he said if you ever meet someone, whoever it is, who who seems as though they're they're less fortunate in a moment, you know, ask them for a blessing. Like let them know that you need them. But what would you say when somebody is caught in that place of thinking of themselves as not needed, thinking of themselves as nothing extraordinary or nothing special?
0: So I would say that, and I'll explain what I mean by this, focus on God's love of you. There's a concept in Judaism, but you don't have to be Jewish to do this, that in the morning, there's two things that you say. First of all, you say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I'm alive. But then you say, thank you, God, for believing in me.
2: Yeah,
0: We believe that every breath that we take is a gift that God is investing in us. And I may have shared this story with you when we met at some point, but I'll never forget the story of the man who was in his mid-90s during the height of COVID from Italy. And unfortunately, he had to be on a ventilator.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, thank God he survived. But as he was leaving the hospital, he was given the bill a ventilator for one day and he started to cry as he was leaving the hospital and the doctor said to him are you crying because you can't pay the bill for the ventilator he said i'm not crying because i can't pay the bill for the ventilator i can pay he said but i've been breathing god's air for free for 94 years and now i know how much one day's breath is worth And I literally think about that, that every time you take a breath, God is giving you a bear hug and says, it's not important what other people think. I believe in you. There is something that you can accomplish today that is different than yesterday, that is different than tomorrow, that only you can do. And the world is counting on you. And when I wake up with that, because a lot of times people get stuck in the past, they get anxious about the future. But today is the only moment that we have. And I believe that if God invested us with life, that means that God loves you, God believes in you, and there's something unique for you to accomplish in the world. And I think reminding ourselves of that can be very empowering, very life affirming, and very hopeful. And I try to encourage you to think about that also.
1: That is such an incredibly powerful story. I mean, what the oxygen has been worth for 94 years. I don't even have the words for it, but I think what's so crazy making is how much, you know, I was speaking to someone the other day and he's like, we think the world is addicted to opioids and that's true. But the thing that people are really addicted to is attention. People are attention fiends. It's like, did it get a like? How many people are following me here? You know, it's like this never ending craving for, success, quote unquote, in doing big things. And what you're talking about is when we talk about being needed or, you know, making a day that's worthy of feeling satisfied with, it's not about how much attention you got. It's not about how many people followed your Instagram. It's about moments, like the moments you've just shared going over to a woman who you don't even know who's sobbing in her son's gravesite and saying, I want to say this song with you. I mean, how is it that we have gotten so off track and people seem to, to value themselves based on how quote unquote successful they are with attention, right? How big it is versus those way more important things that make a life actually what a life is.
0: I think we're living in a world that obviously like the countercultural forces that are getting in people's ears and getting in people's hearts is very overwhelming. And just like, for example, if I was going to um, fortify myself, you know, we all know that in the face of an adversary that is very strong, we have to fuel ourselves to push back. And I think that we are so, Tied into the noise and device and false and counterfeit pleasures. When there's no resistance, that literally fills us up. And we think, by the way, I think anybody would agree that on the surface, these things may seem to give us real happiness and purpose. But at the end of the day, if you say to somebody, did that like give you deep happiness? That accolade or bonus give you long lasting fulfillment? people will say, I'm still empty. So I do think that finding ways to help people, and I think the first step, this by the way is another principle in the book, which is called seizing meditative moments, which is literally turning it all off to tap into what's inside is definitely one of the other important strategies to listen to that voice. There's a beautiful story that I think about a lot, which is um, a farmer once lost his watch in the barn And he had everybody running around the barn to try to find this watch and nobody could find it. And everybody went inside to get lunch. About 10 minutes later, a young eight-year-old boy comes back and says, I found the watch. And the farmer says to him, how'd you find it? We had like 10 people running around trying to find the watch. He said, all I did was I put my ear to the ground and I heard the watch ticking. Sometimes there's so much noise, you don't hear it. There's not a single soul in the world that doesn't want meaning, that doesn't want love, that doesn't want a deep sense of purpose. So it's important, and that's where our conversation is important, to help give people the strength. And it takes a lot of strength. Like sometimes I'll say to people, let's just, you know, let's talk and write down a reflection. How do you want to be remembered? What's important to you? I don't have time. You need to make the time to do it. Because then when you make the time to do it now, when you're healthy, when you can change something about your life, this will be the best investment that you can make in your soul. Now, don't wait when you're, God forbid, on your deathbed. Think about this right now. And I believe people can do it, but it does take partners in the process. It does take a little bit of courage because the world is saying, don't do it. The world is giving us counterfeit pleasures, but That's really one of the keys is creating these meditative moments is another very important principle. And I say this, I can have all the aspirations in the world, but unless I do, and you're familiar with this term, a Hateshbon Hanefesh, which is an accounting of the soul on a consistent basis, I'm not going to actually realize what those life aspirations are.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's uncanny when you hear people say, I don't have time for that. It's like, how do you want to be remembered? I don't have time for that. (laughs) (laughs) What's so important? What's important? You have no time for that. I know. But when you talk about all of these beautiful ways we can show up in these acts of kindness, and then we talk about living to our full potential, is there something that each one of us sort of has this like Michelangelo full potential, or is the full potential really about those small acts of kindness? You know what I mean? Like. Which one is it? Because I feel like we are also wanting to achieve. We're very achievement oriented. And then at the same time, it sounds like everything important that we've actually talked about comes down to just making a difference for one person. So is that is that it? Like, do we meet our full potential or is there something else that we were each kind of given to do and we kind of know what that is and we need to pursue that?
0: Um, I'll give you a nice, good answer. Yes and yes. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, there is a phrase, um, it's in the book of Psalms, build a world of kindness. You can't go wrong, and I believe that is our mission, is to bring hope in places of despair, light in places of darkness, and really bring kindness wherever we go. That being said, everybody has unique gifts, everybody has a unique constellation, and part of realizing one's potential is identifying what those gifts are. And then harnessing them, not for one's own glory, but to bring more of God's glory and and greatness to the world. So, for example, let's say somebody is an artist, okay? But then the question is, what do you do with that skill to make the world a better place? It may be mentoring kids who don't have the resources to learn about art. It may be making cards for seniors. You're right, it kind of leads to improving the world. But my path to doing that and your path to doing that may be different because we're each different and we each have our own unique talents. Um, And the truth is, is that this is something also one of Rabbi Aaron's uh, great lines, since we're batting around great lines, (laughs) he says, your role is not your soul. Your role is not your soul. Oftentimes we think that our meaning is derived based upon what job we have. And somebody let's say loses a job or they are now not in a per- particular position, they feel they don't have meaning. There's no such thing in, as retirement. I always say that, you know, if we believed in a mandatory retirement age, the Jews never would have gotten out of Egypt. Moses would have been in Florida. Like it's like <laughs> He didn't start till he was like 80 years old. <laughs> he so, said, I'm so good. There's no retirement. So okay. I was on the phone this morning with a businessman who, thank God, has has everything that he needs. And he said, he's trying to find his purpose. He's out in Arizona and really sweet guy. And I said to him, well, I know a lot of young people that might appreciate your mentorship in business. And that's a way that you give meaning because that's the unique that you can offer. So helping people see inside themselves what they may not realize they have is also one of the key strategies. There's a beautiful verse in Jeremiah that says God knows us before we were born. And that means that we may know our past, we may know our preferences or our problems, but oftentimes we may not realize our potential. And God believes that if he puts us in this world, there's some unique talent, some unique gift that we can now harness to help make a everlasting impression on the world. So I think all of us are programmed for spiritual greatness. The exact road to get there um, it's going to be unique to us, but at the end of the day, we're all here to literally help heal the world and ensure a time, which I believe will happen, and I know you do too, where the entire world will recognize the face of God in every human being. And there will be no more violence and no more racism, and the world will be truly a beautiful place.
1: Yeah, what a beautiful, incredible, important vision. And I don't know if you know this, I don't know why this just occurred to me, but there's a Broadway show is very famous called Les Miserables. Sure. And the very last line of that show, very last line, is to love another person is to see the face of God.
0: You know what? I forgot about that, but that's a great book. <laughs>
1: it's a great line. And it's true. It's so true. It's like uh opening your heart, as Bob Marley would say. You know, and Speaking about laymez, and I mentioned, I just mentioned Arthur Brooks before, who's a very devout Catholic, and you have a show with a reverend, and we're talking about God. How do you help people receive that word when they maybe don't like that word? They like the word universe, or they like the word divine intelligence, or infinite intelligence, or oneness, or consciousness, right? It's just, um, I feel like the word God has been hijacked, and then there's also you're very good good friends with a reverend and you would use that same word, but think of it slightly differently, right? How do we all get to be a part of it is what I'm saying. How does everyone who's listening right now get to feel that they can lean in regardless of where they start that conversation?
0: Well, I think by the way, again, this is another quote from Rabbi Aaron that the word God is a loaded God. And you know, when somebody says they don't believe in God, Rabbi Aaron's response to me, I don't believe in the God that you don't believe in anyone. You know, God is not like a a service machine, you know? Right. Uh, It just is like, you know, ching, I pray, all of a sudden, boom, things come out. I think it's important to focus. Number one, I mean, many times I'll use the notion there's a higher power because it's more of a universal piece. But I also want people to, to me, the, the most important road is to help people appreciate the feelings that are generated when they lead a more soulful life. In other words, Everybody really wants that inside of them. So if we can tap into people's awareness of their soul and what actually gives them real happiness and life satisfaction, relationships that are strong, having a life of of kindness and meaning, being authentic. And one of the principles I talk about is courageous choices. We live in a world where oftentimes decisions are made based on pressure not on principle, based Mm. on convenience, not on conviction. Mm. And I believe that everybody recognizes that when you make a decision, it may be a tough moral decision, but it's a decision that's fortified by you knowing you can look in the mirror and know you did the right thing. People want more of that. Yes. Me, it's less important about a conversation, do you believe in God? But it's more a conversation about how do you fuel your life with the kind of awareness that your soul should be driving your body and not your body driving your soul. And I would say 99% of the people in the world get it. They want that. So that's really where the conversation I think starts. The God will come, you know what I'm saying? But if they really are open to understanding what drives them, and I think most people do, then they want to be fortified in that way. They just haven't thought about that.
1: 100%. Before we hop off, I want to mention. You went ahead and wrote another book called The Secret of the Light, which is so impressive because, first of all, writing one book is already impressive enough. But then you wrote a second book and the second book is so, it's so cool to see that you could do this too because it's, it's really like a piece of fiction with like really important morals and values in it. Why did you want to tell that story? What is it about that story that you had to tell?
0: So it's interesting. The genesis of the story took place about 20 years ago when I was in Colorado visiting some stakeholders in the synagogue. And a guy comes over to me and says, Rabbi, when I die, am I going to be reunited with my parents? And I said to him, yes, I believe the souls live on and you'll feel your parents' presence. About seven years ago, we've been close ever since, he said, do you think you can write a book It gives people a sense, even after a traumatic loss, that they still have a connection with the person who passed away. And I actually started a journey of a nonfiction book about the journey of the soul. And then my agent said to me, maybe you should write this as a parable and it might actually resonate more. So I wrote this story and there's a piece that's autobiographical. My wife likes to say is the book is not autobiographical. (laughs) But the beginning of the book is, it's about a young man in his 20s who is living in New York City in the 1980s. He's thinking about going to law and not 100% sure. And then he has a crisis of faith after his mother tragically and suddenly passes away. He loses faith in himself and in the world. And he's just really in a very deep spiritual funk. And then he's meandering around Times Square in the 1980s when Times Square was not a nice place. And he stumbles across a street sweeper who's a hidden mystic named Elijah. And Elijah opens up his eyes that no place in the world is devoid of God and helps him restore his faith in himself and in the world around him. And it's really a book of hope. It's a book of not lamenting the darkness, but increasing the light, which is a journey, I think, that is universal. We oftentimes hit walls, but we have to realize those walls are just doors. God is sending us through a different path. And I remember it was very hard for me, tragically hard after my mom passed away to to somehow grapple with living a life without her physical presence. But I now feel her every day. And I know that she helps me channel her light into the world. And, And it's also a book though, to me it's interesting because writing the book was very cathartic. There's a scene in the book and I'll just share this with you. Like again, you never know a moment until it becomes a memory. So I'll never forget when I was five years old around, I was flying a kite with my mom's dad at the parking lot of the synagogue in Atlanta. And it was one of the most joyous moments of my life because the kite went so high. It was the only time in my life that I never saw the top of the kite. But all I could do is I could feel the tug And I knew the kite was there. It was a memory that was like in my heart. 30 years later, after my mom had passed away, I read something beautiful that when a person passes away, you always have to realize that the tug is going to be there, that you may not see them in the same way, but you'll still feel their presence in your life. And so that story served as a great source of comfort for me. And also it's a great source of comfort for the main character in the book to know that we may not see those people in the same way, but they're always present in our life. And it's a bit of a love story. I mean, it was a very hard writing the book. It takes place in New York, in Jerusalem, in Sfat. But it was really beautiful. Like One of my mentors um, just called me up, and he was keen helping me write years ago. And Rabbi J.J. Shafter from um, Yishu University, and I gave him a copy of the book last week. And it's always nerve-wracking when you give a copy of the book to somebody who is your mentor and he called me up and he said, he loved the book. He said, I can't wait to see Elijah again. So that was, that was a comforting moment.
1: I mean, I can't even imagine how much, Nachas, how much your mom just looks and just has such incredible love and pride for every single thing that, you are and that you do. It's it's amazing. And we had, you know, 700 episodes. You're you're one of the most loving, memorable mm-hmm. people. Like what a gift that you're here. So really quick before we hop off, you have this show with the reverend. Yeah. And is that something that everybody can yeah. find and, and listen to?
0: Sure. Yeah. It's actually, if you go on the Gab Network, the rabbi and the reverend, it appears <laughs> On around seven or eight different markets. But if you go on Spotify, actually, the more recent shows are put up, so you can just look on Rabbi Reverend. And I would say also I just want to emphasize this in my whole journey. My wife is my soulmate. And she has been such a strong, strong source of of support and giving me the strength and really helping, you know, all of these um stories and just this life journey and helping reveal the light.
1: That's so, so, so sweet. And very true. you yeah, know. very true. What can people expect if they listen to the show, the rabbi and the reverend? What can they expect? What's it about?
0: So it's basically the two of us bantering for about 45 minutes. I mean, so for example, we will talk about a little what's going on in the news, but more timeless. We talk about also like comparing our faiths. You know, well, I learned a lot from him about Christianity and, and vice versa in terms of Judaism. But we also really... To the point of legacy, we both are really trying within our own communities to help people realize the best version of themselves. And whether you're Christian or Jewish or another faith, the struggles of the soul are universal. And we share different strategies and our own stories about how we can hopefully empower people to transcend the challenges that everybody faces today to become the best version of themselves.
1: It's so important what you're doing. I mean, there's just, there's so much chaos and static out there. And there's a lot of racism and anti-Semitism is on the rise and all of this stuff. And then to hear the two of you, a reverend and a rabbi, having conversations and coming together and helping us all understand and and lean into to love one another. They're just, there's such a need for it. So thank
0: you for doing it. Yeah, he's a great guy. Very blessed.
1: So, as we're signing off, tell everybody where they can follow along with you. And I'm sure they're going to want to continue to hear from you. What's the best way?
0: Um, So, the best way is if you go on my website, www.rabiidanielcohen.com, you'll find videos there, podcasts. You can sign up for something, and people can feel free to generally reach out to me personally. I'm happy to connect. And you can also learn more about the Legacy Academy, which is a great way to stay connected. And um, if you do have Elijah moments, you can go on the Facebook page and you can uh, post there as well. You're a great host, by the way.
1: Oh, you're so kind. You're an incredible blessing. Incredible blessing. Thank you so much for for everything that you do. Amen. Thank you so much. Wow. What an amazing conversation. That really brings me to tears. Okay. Here are the takeaways. Number one. Look for the ways to show up for regular people all the time. We don't have to change the world, but change the world of one person every day. If there's somebody who's in our orbit, it's an opportunity to really make a difference in their life. It's the best thing you can do for your own happiness. Number two, no encounter is random. There's always some new light to be revealed. Number three, don't miss an opportunity to do an act of kindness. No act of kindness is lost. Number four, the two most important days of your life are the day when you're born and the day when you understand why. When you're in a place to be that messenger to help somebody feel hope and life and light, you're going to make a huge difference in the world. Number five, leading a life of legacy is recognizing that at any moment, any time, any place, we can bridge heaven and earth and really make a significant difference in somebody's life. Number six, every morning, thank God that you're alive and thank God for believing in you. Every breath that we take is a gift that God is investing in us. Number seven, build a world of kindness. You can't go wrong. It's our mission to bring hope in places of despair, lighten places of darkness, and bring kindness wherever we go. And number eight, all of us are programmed from spiritual greatness. The exact road to get there is unique to us, but at the end of the day, we're all here to literally help heal the world. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that this conversation blessed you today. I say it all the time, but I really mean it. None of this would be possible without you listening, without you being here. Your time is the most valuable thing in your life, so thank you for spending it here. There are so many good episodes that we have coming up. So please follow along and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. And if you're loving the podcast, please leave a rating and a review. It helps us create a better show for you and it helps other people to find us. If you think that there's anyone in your life who would find this episode valuable, please post about this episode on your Instagram. You can share the reel that I'm going to share on my Instagram. You can email someone the link or text them the link. I just feel like We live in an empathy deficit, and I feel like this conversation is the conversation that everybody really is craving. And remember, if you want to hang out with me and Susie Moore, we're doing a free workshop this week. You can just sign up and grab your spot at kathyheller.com slash visible. And if you want to be with me and Susie Moore in person, you can come to my retreat in Florida in September. Go to kathyheller.com slash retreat. I'll leave you with a song of mine. I'll talk to you soon.